Uh, but um, so kind of interesting when we were getting this all set up. I mean, he, he's a former physicist. I'm a computer informations major, and we could not figure out Google Plus for the life of us. I mean, it's just something wrong with us. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but why don't you go ahead and, uh, well, actually, I'll introduce myself first, too. Um, uh, for anybody who's not familiar, I run a small YouTube channel, nothing major. My name's Kenneth. I'm in insurance and financial services. Nothing more to me than that. But uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, kind of give an idea of what, what about yourself, your background, your history? Sure. Uh, I'm Scotty Bowman. I you know, grew up in Detroit. I've been with, what's really um, kind of gotten attention to me in recent life has been my work in politics, especially in the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian movement in general, um, in and out of the party. I am also employed as a professor at a couple community colleges. Um, my areas of study are math, physics, astronomy. And so that's what I do as my career and, and my hobby essentially is politics. Okay, so that's like most libertarians, we can't really do it as a full-time job. <laughs> yeah, until one of us win a big election, yeah. That would be nice. Um, so. What I really want to talk to you about, too, is um, your, your background with the, I believe it's the Wayne County Police. Uh, you, you had a, a run-in at the, it was it a university you worked at, or was it just a, a university you're supposed to be speaking at? Or Okay, it's a community college that I work at, and I also um, was um, on my way to a candidate um, event of sorts on the campus that was, well, it was actually a voting event. It was what they call a satellite clerk office. It, most people loosely call it early voting, though technically I've heard that is an incorrect characterization. The reason they don't call it early voting is because the ballots they're accepting are processed as absentee ballots, even though most people fill them out in person. In fact, you're not required to fill them out in person until the day before the election. Most people don't even know that. They just act like they're going in to vote early. And that was on the same campus where I happened to be working that day. The, um, the, by the way, it's Wayne County Community College District, and the officers I had the interaction with were then the campus police for that community college. Okay. So, so what all went down? Like, How did this all get started? Okay, well, I was a candidate for city clerk, and um, in this case, it was a nonpartisan office, so I wasn't even um, directly involved with my um, partisan activities. Uh, but I was running for city clerk of the city of Detroit, and the incumbent city clerk, um, interestingly enough, is in charge of the very same election in which she is a candidate. The um, my interest in being on the campus to begin with is I had a, a class to teach. I had a math class, and that class ended at um, all around 2.57 or 2.53, actually, is when I had left the classroom and started walking over to where the voting was going on, or I mean the um, satellite clerk office, to be formal about it. And on my way there, um, I noticed why I had already been aware of you know an issue with signs before on other campuses and sure enough on this campus there was also an issue with signage. The incumbent had draped a large banner with her name on it over the entrance to the clerk's office and furthermore a vote here sign which is standard in Michigan 
they have outside of voting places not only said vote here but said Janice Winfrey city clerk vote here in other words um you know if you, you, it's effectively it was almost like a campaign sign saying to vote for Janice Winfrey city clerk so that was um, there was a the, sorry um, was that, that was, inside the actual that's outside area? the building oh okay it was it was it was outside the building but it was within um it was less than 150 feet from the entrance, less than 100 feet back. So it was close enough where um, it would have been prohibited had it been anything um, that was obviously a campaign sign that any other candidate would post. And in this case, because it was a vote here sign, um, normally those could be closer, but not with the candidate's name um, right. drawn on it, which had been the case here. Also, the banner hanging over the entranceway was um, also um, purely promotional, but since it had um, kind of the air of officiedom to them, no one had taken any notice of it except me because I pay attention to things like that. Um, I went and took a picture of the big banner, and when I took a big picture of the banner, the um, public safety officer who had um, would continue to cause me problems um, shouted out to me, what do you think you're doing? And I said, I'm taking pictures of signs. And I um, finished taking that picture and um, I put away the camera because I had already been snapping the picture right when she had happened to be coming out to see what I was doing. And walked inside then to ask about the hours. And my interest in asking about the hours was because it was a place where people were voting before the election that the... Um, as a, as a candidate, I was interested in knowing the hours because candidates wait around outside at the appropriate distance to hand literature to people moving in that direction, um, which is also um, a common campaign practice. So I was interested in the hours for that reason. I went in and asked about the hours. She told me that all of their hours were until 5 o'clock up, up until the date of the election, which surprised me because I thought on the day beforehand that the office would close at 4, and I mentioned that to the election inspector um, who um, was named Ebony Allen actually, I know some names, and I walked away from there and I went over to where that vote here sign was that I had previously noticed, like a little placard, it folds out, it sits on the pavement, and to take a picture of that one as um, further evidence of the incumbent's inappropriate um, use of public resources as well as it being um, even illegal had they been proper campaign signs. So I went out to do that and while I was out there taking a, taking a picture of that sign, the um, Ebony Allen, the election inspector, comes running out and says, wait, wait, um, I had some information incorrect. Yes, we do close at 4 o'clock on Monday, sorry for the confusion. And I thanked her, um, but then she had more questions um, and by now, by, just to put this timing in perspective, my class had just, you know, um, I had departed the classroom maybe around 2.53, and it had only taken a couple minutes to get over there, and now it was only a few minutes later, and um, I, can, I know this because I had recovered some images from my phone, I mean, not from my phone, from my camera. Everyone else takes pictures of phones. I actually had a separate camera. Um, and those images um, go around to 258, 259. So um, Ebony Allen came out at about 259 um, and um, made that correction. Well, 
that she, instead of just walking away, then she asked, well, what was I doing there? And I explained that, um, that I was taking pictures of the sign because the incumbent was placing her signage in places where it wouldn't, would be illegal if anyone else did it. And I thought that was unfair and possibly illegal. She then decided to get in a debate with me defending the practices of the incumbent which, by the way, is electioneering, and a person, a um, election inspector, they're acting in her duties, is not supposed to be um, electioneering, but she was. And so I took out my um, the camera, or continued to have the camera out, put it in video mode, and started recording her comments because, again, I thought that was appropriate given that she was now um, speaking on behalf of the city clerk and defending this practice. Um, she said she didn't want to be recorded, and I said, well, that's fine. You don't have to stand in front of the camera if you don't want to be recorded. She um, continued to get in this little discussion with me about whether, you know, why it was different because Janice Winfrey had been elected and I hadn't been elected, and that's why Janice Winfrey was allowed to have her signage closer to the polling place and I wasn't. Um, this went on for a little bit, and then... Oh, by the way, you can step in anytime if you have any questions about what I'm describing. Actually, I, I'll go back a little bit. Now, you said the um, the campus police bug you for a moment about taking pictures. Is there any sort of campus ordinance or rule about photo cameras on campus or no? Nope, absolutely none. Um, as far as having them on campus and as far as um, using them on campus. Um, in fact, there had been um, a handbook that I was referred to when I asked about this. The only there were some restrictions as far as if we were going to um, like make a movie or something like that. I mean, actually do some motion picture production. You know, use the facilities in a way that would require um, special accommodations. But we weren't. I wasn't doing anything. I was pulling out a camera out of my pocket and taking a picture, pulling a camera out of my pocket and putting it on video. So there was absolutely no rule. So the rules uh, pretty much apply the same as public property that you're allowed to film or take photos in a public place, correct? Right, which is a right. And in fact, it was a public place, both because it was a public institution in a common area during regular hours, and also because a special arrangement had been made between the city clerk's office and the campus which um, permit, made the, that particular area over by where the voting was happening and where I was standing, made that particular area open to the general public and not just an area that was for faculty and students. Um, so that any voter in Detroit was considered to have um, proper business there at that time. So um, it, was, it was an exceptionally open policy at that time under the under the rules but even under regular rules there wasn't anything prohibiting me from taking pictures or recording video outside um, like I was doing okay and you, you also the, mentioned that you were uh, videotaping the the you said there was the election officer well actually it was an SD card not a tape on the camera um, that's what I mean yeah um, yeah the um, officer stepped in at about um, right as I was talking to the election inspector, Ebony Allen, Olivia Mossforth, the same officer who had stepped out and shouted, what do you think you're doing, shows up. And 
at this point, um, and Ebony Allen may have made some overture to the fact that she didn't like me recording, and then walked away, and Olivia Mossfort stepped in her place and asked me to stop um, the camera, and at which point I refused because I said, well, well, actually, I didn't refuse abruptly like that. What I did is I asked if there was a rule or a policy um, against recording, um, and if she affirmed that there was one, I would stop because I believed in following the rules. In fact, that was why I was there taking pictures and so on, it was because I believed the city clerk wasn't following the rules. But I, um, I told her that I would stop if she simply asserted that it was a rule um, of the campus or if it was a law, either one. Um, she wouldn't assert that. And so I continued recording based on the premise that in the absence of her asserting a rule or a law, that it was simply a personal preference of her and I didn't need to comply with a personal preference. Um, now, is this uh, so recording she, available anywhere? or um, They deleted it. Okay. There are fragments. Um, yeah, so I... Um, essentially this discussion went back and forth a little bit. At, at first she said that the campus was only open to students and staff, apparently unaware that the area was open to the general public there. But in either case it didn't really matter because I made it clear that I was faculty, in which case um, I would be allowed anywhere on campus when it's open, effectively. Um, and so that, you know, that, that was not a problem. And at which point, and that was the only time she mentioned anything about trespassing until later on. Um, and th then if, if she was joined by um, some other officers. Um, two of them were, I think, Ann Hamilton and um, Daryl, um, I'm to remember, Daryl Bennett. Um, there were there was more. There was at least one more present there, and an additional one joined in as we as, in the later part of this um, interaction. Um, but they didn't acknowledge the existence of these other officers, probably because they couldn't find them as witnesses, um, or they didn't like what they would say as witnesses. But in any case, I um, you know at this point they they continued. They said a few different things like. Um, well, one of the, one of the officers was trying to claim that they were in private property, and I'm like, no, it's actually county property. It's a it's county community college. Um, not that it had any relevance. And at some point, um, there was a comment made to the effect that we couldn't just you know I couldn't just stay there. And I said, well, I didn't intended on staying here. The only reason I'm still standing here is because we got in this conversation. And in fact, I have a candidate forum to go to, and um, and they're like, well, where are you going? I'm going, well, I'm going to be heading in the direction of my car. And they asked where my car was. And um, I told them. And they said, well, can we walk with you? And I said, no, no problem. Of course you can. And I walked on over um, to um, where they're handing out campaign literature, which was on the way to my car um, in between. And at this point, by the way, and there's a little confusion about this when people hear this, but uh, it's, it was my understanding at that time that the only place I needed to leave was the general vicinity close to where the early voting, I mean, the satellite clerk office was. That there wasn't a expectation that I had to leave the campus. Um, so and that, and that, that is somewhat important. I walked over 
to um, the area where other people are handing out campaign literature and I joined in in handing out the campaign literature. I stood right next to where other people were doing it or I attempted to join in because then what happened is as I reached my hand out with one of my campaign cards to a passerby and go Scotty Bowman for city clerk, um, Olivia Moss for slops my hand down so that I was unable to hand out the card. I um, said to please not touch me. I was quite clear that I did not want her touching me and quite clear that she had touched me um, without my permission. I also um, made it clear that they couldn't pick and choose who could and could not hand out campaign literature there, that we all had an equal right to um, act as candidates. And if they made a rule for one person, it applied to all. I then attempted to hand out the card again. And when I reached out the second time, I felt someone grab my hand um, that was holding the card, squeeze my hand down so I was unable to release the card, and then pull my hand behind my back. Um, and then I felt myself lifted up and thrown to the ground, and um, people pile on top of me. I um, felt my hands being cuffed behind my back, and, um, and I had weight on me like until I could barely breathe. I got up, or I was lifted up might be a better way of saying it, um, prior to being lifted up, I had asked, like, can I please continue on in my car? I want to leave. And he just said, we're past that, whatever that meant. And then walked me over to, um, like, they started walking me around the um, corner of the place. Um, as this is happening, I'm asking if I'm, and I, I'm asking at a high volume because I want to make sure people nearby heard me and heard their answer. I asked if I was under arrest and if I had broken any law. And they refused to answer. At that point, I said, well, if I'm not under arrest or breaking the law, I'm being taken illegally. I shouted out my name, asked people to get help um, because I was being taken illegally. Um, I was walked around the side of the building and put into a side room, um, and at which point I felt around and um, in, in looking for my phone, thinking maybe I could call for help from there. At that point, um, Immediately, one of the officers um, butted in and said, what are you doing? And I go, nothing. And he walked away and I started looking around for my pocket and he popped in again. So what this told me was, and there wasn't any direct line of sight into the room other than that there was a bubble in the upper corner of the room, in other words, a video camera. Um, so obviously, I was under video surveillance inside as well as outside where there was visible um, bubbles, those little you know, brown um, tinted bubbles that cameras are typically kept in outside the building where everything had happened also, and that becomes important later. Um, I was um, left in this room for an extended amount of time. I had asked for water. I was refused water. Um, I had repeatedly expressed discomfort about the handcuffs and that I was in pain. I had asked if I was under arrest and still received no answer. Um, at one point I had a view of people passing by and I called out to them to make sure they knew that I was being held illegally because again they hadn't told me I was under arrest. But when I stood up and in a hope that I could simply walk out, they blocked my path. And so I wasn't under arrest but I wasn't allowed to leave either. Um, and. I also noticed that my camera was gone, so they obviously had possession of my camera. I 
And this went on for quite some time. I made it clear that I had a candidate for him to get to um, after I'd already been there and held there for almost an hour. And one of them laughed at, oh, well, that's politics. Um, you know, apparently their idea of politics is strong-arm tactics. And, and a little bit later, my arms were twisted around my back. Um, oh, when I said I was uncomfortable, that's right. Um, uh, the Olivia Mossfort came in there to adjust the handcuffs and just made them tighter on me. Um, and at some point, I was just kind of getting, my legs were, were getting restless, so I stood up in this little space and started pacing around inside. I didn't do anything at this point, you know, trying to leave or anything. I was just inside there. And um, this one officer, who I don't know the name of because they never really acknowledged the existence of this person, I could, I'd recognize him on site, I've seen him on campus since, walked in, I walked up to the door and looked in and told me that um, I need to stop doing that. And I'm like, why? I'm not under your command. I'm in a room, not leaving the room. If you want to keep me prisoner in here, you can do that, but I'm not leaving and I'm just standing up. And so I didn't sit down because I didn't see any reason I had to. At which point, um, I mean, you know, I wasn't resisting anything. I was, I was just minding my own business, stuck in this stupid little room that I wanted to be out of, but I wasn't trying to leave. Well, at this point, um, a couple of the officers then threw me down into the um, onto the bench that I was on, and Olivia Mossworth got behind me and put my the cuffs into some kind of torture position. I've since heard it's called a pretzel lock, but it's a way of using handcuffs as an implement of torture to maximize pain so that whichever way you move they tighten, whichever way they move you move they hurt more and more. Um, I was stuck with that then on my wrists um, for an extended amount of time to the point where both my hands had become completely numb. Then about, oh I'm sorry, you want to step in? No, I'm just kind of listening. I'm trying to get you know the, the whole story here. Yeah. By the way, the entire events prior, between me arriving there and me being taken down was actually the terminology they used, um, really only comprised a grand total of somewhere between five and and eight minutes maybe. Um, I'm looking at my timestamps right now. Um, yeah, maybe about six minutes. So. This all happened in a very short amount of time. So the notion, anyone who would think there was a notion that even if I was expected to leave, that I would have had time to leave would be wrong. But that, you know, wasn't even really an appropriate interpretation of events. And so after, um, and the total time that went by I came up with was about um, three hours and 15 minutes between being um, tackled and exiting the campus. The um, Right near the end of this, um, Olivia Mossford did show up, and she had pulled out a um, ticket she had written and read it to me and said that I was being charged with trespassing. Um, and ironically, it, the ticket said that I had been asked to leave and had refused to leave when, in fact, I had been begging to leave, and they wouldn't let me. Um, so there's a lot of irony in that one. They... Um, and she said I would be picked up by the Detroit police. Well, a little more time went by, and of course I couldn't tell time because I didn't have my phone. That's why I had my my clock was on my phone. So, so let me get this um, straight: you were trespassing on public property that also happened to be your place of employment. 
Yes. <laughs> in an area that was open to the general public. I don't know how they could even call that trespassing. Oh, it gets worse because if you, the, the particular um, the particular body of law that I was charged with, in fact, um, uh, since, you know, I might as well go right to that. You mind if I just kind of, I'm gonna, it's not very long. It's not a paragraph or two. Okay. The um, paragraph, and this is exactly the, she was very specific in notation on the ticket that it was Detroit Municipal Code 37-8-4C. And the C is important because that's a very, it's just one paragraph I'm being charged with violating. And here is what it says. It shall be unlawful for any person to enter and remain in any public, private, or parochial school or on surrounding school grounds within 250 feet of the school building between 7 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. on days when school is in session, except for regularly enrolled students or teachers or other employees who have not been excluded from the school on the applicable date. Unless the person has first proceeded to the administrative offices and identified himself or herself to the principal or the principal's designee. Now, first of all, does that sound like a community college? Um, well, I don't know because community college is usually they're, they're semi-private, semi-public. So I, I really don't know how well that applies. But but what I'm finding interesting, like it wasn't passed. What what was the time again? Four thirty. Um, the. The class that I had left ended a little before 3, and all of this happened um, in the moments leading up to 3 p.m. and a couple minutes after 3 p.m. before I was um, completely um, detained. So you're within the time period anyways where you're legally allowed to be there, even if for whatever reason you weren't allowed to be there, you're within that time period. Actually, no, those are the hours during which the ordinance is in effect. Had it been after 4.30 p.m., right. the ordinance would not be applicable. But it isn't applicable oh, okay. anyway because it says public, private, or parochial school. And clearly it's not a parochial school. It's not a Catholic school, in other words, or something like that. Um, it's not private. It's um, under the auspices of the county. And then what about public school? That would seem to be the closest thing. Well... The state of Michigan has a definition of what a public school is, and here it is. Um, and it was defined in the Revised School Code um, Act of 451 of 1976 when, this, when the state defined um, the most recent update of the state um, defining public schools. Public school means a public elementary or secondary educational entity or agency that academic and vocational technical skills and knowledge and it's operated by a school district. Local Act School Districts, um, Special Act School District, Intermediate School District, School of Excellence, Public School Academy, Corporation District. Anyway, I'm trying to move along here. Um, and I'm trying to find the part that. Wait, wait a minute. It should have a part where it says. Oh, it's right at the beginning. Means any public elementary or secondary educational entity. Okay, and the rest of it goes on into the legal ish. But the point is, elementary or secondary is what it means. Secondary is middle school and high school. Elementary is K through 8 or maybe K through 6. 
depending on this. So in other words, only K-12 institutions are public schools. Public school does not refer to a community college. It does not refer to an adult um, institution. The hours of 7 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. are typically hours of a range when public schools are in session, K-12 schools are in session. To go to the office of the principal or the principal's designee, clearly the reference to the principal of a school. Um, so, so the, my question, did you figure this out all on your own or did you work with a lawyer or? Oh, I, I, I had a lawyer and um, there are other things um, that the lawyer um, was quick to point out and one of them um, is that it does say except for, um, and we find the exact language here, except for regularly enrolled students or teachers or other employees who are not excluded from the school on the applicable date. So let's say, okay, let's say community colleges are public schools, even though they aren't. Let's just grant them that. Let's, for the sake of argument, say that, well, no, it does apply to community colleges. Well, then it still wouldn't apply to me because I was not excluded on the applicable date. In fact, I was expected to be there to work. Right, so there's uh, so much wrong with that. Um, yeah. So, so, so what what all happened with that court case? Because um, I know you're trying to appeal it now, so that must have went through. And were you, were you convicted or? Yeah, I was convicted. I'm I'm currently a convict. Um, what happened was the um, we made these arguments in court. Furthermore, um, in fact, even before the date of the trial. Um, my attorney had made a motion to dismiss based upon the fact that um, that I was not excluded on that date, that I was an employee and that I was expected to be there, and that should be enough said. The law didn't apply to me. So in, you know, in, I would say that, first of all, this is the definition of public school. It didn't apply to the venue. Second of all, it didn't apply to me, and that's what the motion to dismiss was originally about. Um, Yet the judge um, sided with the prosecution when the prosecution said, well, um, if they wanted him to leave, then he was excluded right then, which, um, again, it was never clear to me that I was asked to actually leave the campus as a whole anyway. Um, so that, that part was, though, um, the motion to dismiss was denied, and so it still went to trial. Um, and... In the course of the trial, then, um, there were all these other things that went wrong. For instance, the in order, even if they did tell me to leave the campus, which I say they did not, even if they did tell me that, they need a reason to tell me to leave the campus or else that the instruction would not be valid. Um, the reason originally given, and it was given again, by um, Olivia Mossford when she was on this on the stand under oath was that I was um, taking pictures and recording video and that I couldn't do that without the Chancellor's permission. That was what she said to the court. She never said it to me at the time. Um, and also it's not true. The my attorney um, you know challenged her on the cross-examination and asked well where how do you know this is the case? She just goes, oh, we all know it. And he's like, well, is there a particular place that we would find this rule? And she could not come up with it. And in the end, she had to concede that she didn't really know there was such a rule. 
and at which point we also then produced the employee handbook and it was not in there. And I had been repeatedly referred by the school to the employee handbook when I asked if there was such a rule and where it could be found. The, um, and so then what happened is the prosecution changed the story, believe it or not, so that when she was then further um, re-examined and asked again why I had to leave, she came up with another reason. And so the other reason now is that I was interfering with um, the course of business on the campus, at which point she was cross-examined and tried to claim that, well, um, you know, and, and was asked, well, what business was I interfering with? Again, she couldn't come up with anything. Oh, now she had to be re-examined again, had to come up with another reason that I was asked to leave. Of course, none of these reasons applied at the time because she hadn't been um, cross-examined on them yet. And so then now she came up with the newest, so the last reason, which I guess finally stuck, that the prosecution figured they finally came up with a good enough reason, was that um, I appeared to be intimidating the election worker, and that the election worker appeared to be cornered. Now let's put this in context. As you recall in, her, in my description, the election worker came out to me after I had already left the building. I had asked her a question. She answered. I mentioned that I had heard otherwise, but thank you. And I had left. I had gone a significant distance from the entrance, and she actually had to come out to talk to me. I didn't follow her when she had objected. I said she didn't have to stand in front of the camera. And, and, and there was plenty of space behind her. There was no way she's cornered. Right, and, and what kind of person who's cornered and in fear of their, their own safety is going to chase you out to meet you uh, when, when, if you're the aggressor, right? Right. And so none of it made any sense. It was impossible to corner her in an open space. She followed me out to me. And furthermore, if one even looked at her testimony, she actually gave a personal statement um, to the college about the incident as part of an attachment to their incident report. Um, in her own statement, her, she never mentions anything to that effect. All she mentions is that she objected to being recorded. And, and she described our discussion in a way similar to the way I described our discussion. Me and her really didn't differ on the facts. Um, so there was so if this person that was supposedly intimidated felt such, don't you think she might have mentioned that in the report? Something. No. Yeah, and of course that didn't come up until after the prosecution couldn't get anything else as a reason, and so she kept adjusting her testimony to fit the prosecution's case. So, so how is the 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 current appeal process working for you? Like, what are you currently doing on that? Well, um, we got we, the appeal is in progress, and um, I'm actually pulling up right now. I got um, there's some dates. I'm trying to find them. I think it was on. Um, I think July 10th is going to be the date that we're going to actually have testimony um, being open. But um, in fact, I'm going to look right now. I believe it was, and the our appeal was already filed on um, the 5th of this month. And this in here, um, and so really, it's gonna. There's gonna be um, some oral arguments, most likely, unless Judge Hathaway, Cynthia Hathaway, comes up with a decision. Oh, the judge whose decision we're appealing is Roberta Archer, and that's whose courtroom um, this all happened in. And there were other 
problems that went on with the trial. One of them is that the um, we were able to show that Olivia Mossfort, in fact, had um, perjured herself on the stand um, and had um, presented false documents. There was a um, police report or an incident report that um, the prosecution presented that was different than the one I had. The one I had, I had received as a result of a Freedom of Information request a couple weeks after the incident. The one she had had certain facts put in there, well, I mean, not facts, but certain statements put in there that were incorrect. And that new information was all designed to um, absolve the college of liability regarding my injuries. If you read it, it was stuff like, oh, we asked if he was injured, he said no. We um, asked if he needed an EMS, he refused. We asked him to sign a waiver to not get the EMS, and he refused to sign it. These are all things that never happened. It was never no, no, you mentioned that the you were caught on camera in the school. Did they do anything with the camera footage from that? or? Oh, yeah, this is very interesting. Um, I mean, freedom of information request for that, and the response I got from the school is that the video did not exist. All right, the obvious question would follow is why it didn't exist? Um, was it ever recorded or was it destroyed? At which point the um, college attorney, Derek Johnson, refused to give um, an explanation. And when I pushed him further, he said, well, you need to ask for specific documents. Um, you cannot ask a direct question in an FOI request. And so I, I asked for documents regarding logs of videos, regarding um, purchase orders of the video equipment that was set up at Northwest Campus, I, um, and so on, anything that would shed light on at least whether or not the cameras were able to record and whether or not they had a policy about saving or deleting certain video. Um, that was all refused on, I guess there was a catch-all exemption to the Freedom of Information Act, which exempts anything relating to security um, from a Freedom of Information request. And so be, obviously they were security cameras, and so we just went ahead and said, well, so you know, in the end, after I went through and jumped through a bunch of hoops, um, that information was still not made available. And um, clearly it would have exonerated me had they actually had all this video available, and I had assumed that it was available, and that's why I was so confident going into this that it would be easy to get off. And then the fact that they deleted the video, just in my mind, should have been obvious to any, any rational person evaluating the case that obviously they had something to hide. No, um, no my question... Um, as a normal person filing a Freedom of Information Act, I can kind of see uh, refusing anything that could cause security issues. But if you're going to court, it seems to me that your lawyer or whoever is in charge of your defense should be able to attain those documents and it should be presentable in court. Yeah, they should. Um, but they, were, they failed to provide them. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, and furthermore, the video I recorded myself, which also would have exonerated me because if they, you would have seen the conversations we actually had, which were radically different than the ones that Mossford testified to, um, 
I was able to re I was able to show that we had files fragments left of files that had been deleted, um, and there were enough images left over from those files that you could see that the video I was recording was of the officers at the scene, and the still images of the signage was still intact. So you you got that um, from recovering. Were you, did you recover yes. off the SD? There was, there was a, a video recovery program called Recuva, which um, essentially what it does is use the fact that um, during a normal deletion process, the only thing that's normally deleted is an index indicating where the file data is stored and that the other data is still present in some form. Right, unless it's overwritten. Right, and apparently they had done some overwriting. Um, I'm not sure exactly how, how, how they managed to do this, but when we brought it to um, more um, experts, video experts, to try to recover more data, they were unable to get more because it was so thoroughly scrubbed. And so they went out of their way to make sure that uh, I would not be able to recover those files beyond a simple deletion step. Hmm. So you're kind of in a... Uh, a tough boat here. What what are you facing currently? Is is it a fine or? I'm facing um, both a potentially a fine and jail time. I can be fined up to five hundred dollars plus court costs and up to ninety days in, in um, jail. Okay, and and um, we we started on this topic, but we didn't really delve into it. What what are you working on to get your appeals? Are are you? I noticed you were doing petitions and. Yeah, I had actually initially done a um, CARE 2 petition to the um, Wayne County Board of Trustees and the um, Chancellor of the College asking him to drop all this. Now, it was actually in the hands of the court, but they could have easily um, made their, um, or at least had their um, officers say that the college no longer had any problem with this or something to that effect, which probably would have resulted in the dismissal by the um, court, um, but they wouldn't do that. Um, I And I have since spoken to the Board of Trustees again, presenting ideas on how they can improve public safety, specifically um, as far as the matter of logging video goes, because of course there's now been, since this was back in July of 2013. Since then, there have been a series of events that have brought greater attention to the need to accurately record interactions between civilians and officers, um, as you know, evidenced by some some beatings and some incidents that have resulted in death. So um, I thought the matter of making sure they actually save their video um, recordings of such interactions was all the more important and so I actually spoke to them on that and also spoke to them about making sure people don't falsify reports. Oh, I was going to add to this. The reason we know we're able to prove that the um, chief um, prosecution witness was perjuring herself was because um, I had initially made that freedom of information request and received a um, copy of the incident report from the college, their official incident report, at least two weeks after the um, incident, or about two weeks after the incident. The officer testified that she had, the day after the incident, like right away, 
written a revised version of the report, because my attorney asked why the report would be different, had written a revised version of the report on the advice of her supervisor. Now, interestingly enough, when he asked about the, you know, if we could talk to the supervisor, it turns out she um, was no longer with us, so she became a convenient person to put things on. Like she also was supposedly the person that ordered that I be removed, and so on. There are a whole bunch of things that the supervisor, Miss um, Hamilton, who is no longer with us, um, supposedly said. But of course, it's all hearsay now because she's no longer with us and can't speak for herself. The um, but the reason we know that this was perjury was because. She um, insisted that the modification happened the day after the incident. And it was standard procedure that when they modify a report, that becomes the official report, and the previous version is deleted. It no longer exists, which means two weeks later, I could not have received the original version. So in other words, it had to have been modified after I got mine. It had to be modified more than two weeks after the event. Furthermore, the date on the so-called modified report was the same date as the incident. And when she was pressed on this, um, she did have to revise and go, well, okay, maybe it was the same day. Now, okay, if she's off by one day, that's one thing. But the fact of the matter is, no, it had to be at least two weeks after because that's when I got my copy from the college. Um, it's my personal opinion that this report was probably composed shortly before the trial. So, and nothing came of that. That if you prove that she perjured herself, of course, she didn't have to face any punishment, did she? Oh, of course not, because you know they're immune to all that, um, apparently. And apparently, this judge had no problem with her doing that. And in fact, said so in her concluding statements, which would be in the transcripts that um, she saw nothing nefarious about, um, you know, the modifying of the report and, and the testimony being incorrect and so on about the report. Now, it seems to me that even if this was just a bumbling error, that it would certainly cast doubt on the um, person's testimony, um, which apparently was all they had to convict me with was their testimony because, um, and like I said, even if the testimony was accurate, it doesn't change the fact that the law didn't apply to the location, it didn't apply to me, it didn't apply to the circumstances. Nothing fit the law. Right. Now, um, let's say that people out there want to show their support. Is there any way that uh, they can support you or help you in your cause? Or Okay, well, there, there was the, um, I do have a GoFundMe page, and it's at GoFundMe forward slash Scotty Bowman, and there's no W in my last name, so just B-O-M-A-N. Um, and I had received some um, a considerable amount of financial support that way. I um, actually I got enough money to pay for the entire um, appeal. Um, there were already court costs I'd incurred before I embarked on the the appeal, and so any additional money I would you know would be a good reimbursement to the costs I've already had to um, soak up as a result of this appeal. Um, I mean, as a result of the case to begin with, um, you know, I, and I had actually suffered significant injuries that had debilitated use of my hand for six months, at least after the incident. So from the pretzel uh, lock. 
Yeah, yeah, because my hand was numb. In fact, right, I, I actually arrived at the tail end of the candidate event that they had almost succeeded in keeping me from entirely. That was um, elsewhere. It was um, a few miles away from there. And um, when I went to shake hands, I was unable to shake hands because my right hand had become completely limp. It had become unusable. And I, when I, in fact, I was driving, I was barely able to use like my left hand and like part of my left arm to steer. So, you know, that, and that, that was another weird thing is when they got done, they actually marched me out to my car um, with camera in hand and said, if you stop or pause while we're walking, we will arrest you. If you um, slow down while you're driving your car out of here, we will arrest you. We will put the camera in your trunk. If you attempt to get the camera out or take any pictures, again, we will arrest you. And I, I don't even know how to respond to that. So they're essentially just threatening you drive slow, we'll arrest you. That doesn't seem like any, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Any plausible cause to stop you or arrest you? Or yeah, they, they just, they were, at that point, they were very clear about any particular motion in a direction other than they wanted to, as fast as they wanted it was going to be something they would arrest me for, and anything involving the camera. In court, however, she testified that she never had possession of the camera, that the police never had possession of the camera, that I had possession of the camera the entire time that I was um, being held. Locked up with your hands behind your back, you had possession of the camera. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, so... My question: What's your plans for the future now? Like, what 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 is in your near future, long term future? What what are your goals? What what are you trying to get done? What I'm trying to get done is is justice. And I what I would ultimately like to see is I, I, there really needs to be some type of um, reprimand um, for an off for officer and officers. There are, there are others joining in on this um, who. Um, essentially, you know, violate civil rights under color of law, um, assault innocent civilians, um, perjure themselves in court. By the way, she got a promotion. She's been promoted to the office of sergeant, and she was just officer at the time. So they actually gave her a promotion as her punishment for this kind of conduct. Um, in other words, she's been rewarded for this activity by the college, which I find rather disturbing. Um, the um, I'd like to see um, practices put in place where um, the video on the campus is properly preserved and where they simply can't delete any video that's inconvenient, that contains facts that are inconvenient for their purposes. Um, I would like to see a written policy affirming the right of people to record officers interacting with civilians in areas that are open to the public or in areas that are common areas where at least um, there is no expectation of privacy. Um, these are all changes that I think would be appropriate. Um, I, I just and, for, and biggest of all, of course, I would like to see my own charges dismissed. Um, I'd like to receive an apology. I've never received an apology from the school, an acknowledgement they did anything wrong to me. Um, and obviously trying me for a crime that I could not have committed based upon the language of the law and a crime I did not commit based upon um, what I actually did and did not do, um, that, that, that needs to go away. Well, I'll tell you, that's a hell of a list. you got any plans on how you're going to get that all done? 
Um, well, I have an attorney to deal with most of that. <laughs> and I've also, as I've said, I've already spoken to the, um, the board of trustees at the college, and they are an elected body, and so they're somewhat um, responsive, I think, to the will of the people. Um, and that's why I went directly to the board of trustees. I would hope that they would take some actions to implement sound policies um, on the way down and also to investigate this particular incident and really find out, you know, who's behind the falsification of the evidence. Um, I don't, obviously, um, one officer could not do this all on her own. Um, and obviously, there was um, inaccuracies in the testimony of Daryl Bennett, who also spoke at the time, but he got out of um, telling too many lies because he simply said, well, I arrived near the end and didn't really witness very much. Of course, I got a, an image of him on some of the video fragments to verify that he was around. But he at least he didn't say a whole bunch of other things and make up things that I didn't do and say I did them. So I'll give him some credit for that. Oh, no, he did. I take it back. There is one lie, big lie he told near the end. When the prosecution was trying, first of all, they had to come up with a reason for me to leave. And I told you that story, how they kept changing things when my attorney on cross who was able to show that that didn't stand and then they'd come up with another reason and they settled on um, the election worker being cornered or feeling um, trapped or whatever, threatened. Um, well then there was another part which is after I was already walking away from that area and over in the area where people are handing out campaign literature um, they had to come up with a reason I was tackled. Now the obvious reason to me was I was tackled because I was handing out campaign literature and they didn't like me. They didn't like me as a candidate. They didn't like me, um, they didn't like my um, activism as a candidate. Um, and they wanted to stop me. It was a political move. Um, but what they had to come up with was obviously something other than that. And so what they came up with was I wasn't going the way they wanted me to go. At which point I produced a map of the campus showing exactly the location where I was taken down and where I had where the incident started and where my car was located and it formed a nice straight line. At which point then she's like, well, no, actually we wanted him to leave out the driveway. Which wouldn't make any sense because it would mean I'd be walking all the way across the city of Detroit to go home. Um but that's what she claimed. Now, of course, whatever they wanted really was irrelevant because wanting something and telling it to me are two different things. So, I mean, I wasn't telepathic. And so they kept pressing, okay, well, you need a better reason to take them down than that. And what they finally came up with was after she, apparently, her swatting my hand down so I couldn't hand out the literature, she claimed was simply her trying to guide my hand to direct me in the correct direction. And that I was tackled because when I um, attempted to pass out the literature again, what they called that was Daryl um, Bennett lied and said that, no, he, he, it looked like I was going to hit her. So all of a sudden, now it was to defend Olivia Mossfort from assault was the reason I was taken down. Now, why wasn't that in the original report? That sounds a heck of a lot worse than trespassing, and it's certainly a lot worse than anything else they accused me of doing in the report. It seems to me if I did that, that would be the thing that I should be charged with. Exactly. I didn't. <laughs> you know? 
Well, what I'll do is I, I will have your GoFundMe link in the uh, description, which will show up on the YouTube channel below. Um, mm-hmm. I do appreciate your time. Uh, I thank you for doing this this interview with me. Um, so, yeah, Scott Bowman, everybody.